Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, Grassman, Sasquatch. Just a few of the names given to the primate-like creature said to roam the woods and remote areas of North America. Tales of this elusive being go back for hundreds of years. Is it mere myth and legend? Or is there truly something more tangible to this phenomenon? Join us on this journey as we discuss the science behind the encounters, the research and the evidence, keeping you updated on the latest findings, ideas and hypothesis. Arrogance gets us nowhere and closing one's eyes doesn't make things disappear nor less real. Today's myth could be tomorrow's reality. It's time to make this subject matter less taboo. Welcome to Monster X Radio. Bigfoot without the BS. Hello and welcome to Monster X Radio. We have a really great show lined up for you and a wonderful guest that's here in Washington State all the way from London, England. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Bobby O. Many of you know him as Squatch Metrics. Squatch Metrics is, of course, your Sasquatch research data solution. Now, before we get started, I want to emphasize the importance of checking out Squatch Metrics on Facebook and or Instagram during or after you've listened to this episode. During this episode, Bobby O will be sharing and discussing some of his data and numbers that will not necessarily stick with you, nor will it have the same effect unless you take the time to check out the visual representations of this data that you can find on Squatch Metrics Facebook and Instagram sites. And while you're checking out Squatch Metrics on Facebook, give it a like. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the show. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, mate. It's a pleasure having you on the show. We've talked about having you on in the past uh, with Squatch Metrics because of distance and time and work and jobs and all of that. I know it's, it's difficult, but, and of course, you know, when talking about distance, you're across the pond there yeah. in England. We got you stateside. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to be here, though. So it's all good. Uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure, Bobby. Well, Bobby, for the audience, for the, the Monster X listeners and fans, can you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah. The relevant part of, of my background where Scotch and Metrics are concerned is gaining some, uh, some soccer coaching qualifications back maybe, maybe 14, 15 years ago now in the US, funny enough. And then gradually making the transition over to performance analysis. And I was fortunate enough to, to work for a professional club in the UK uh, when I did move back to London. And it kind of opened my eyes to a, to a world full of objectivity rather than, you know, just general cliche and commentary bias that we normally listen to as, as sports fans or anyone that works in the sports industry. It was a, 
you know, not life-changing moment, but it was great that the objectivity put a, a completely new view on not just the game and, and my profession with what I was doing, but, but for life itself. So the aim from there on, a, a kind of a spark went off because my interest in, in Sasquatch was, was high at that time. And I saw an angle to maybe translate what I was doing work-wise into this subject. And, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say, you know. The rest is history. Well, yes and no. Obviously, you launched into this amazing mm-hmm. uh, endeavor of Squatch Metrics, as I see it. But before we, we get it delve into Squatch Metrics, some of the numbers and some of the questions that were posed to you uh, via social media and whatnot, yeah. what exactly got you into the Sasquatch subject? Yeah. What brought you into this phenomenon? Yeah, so, okay, I was born and raised in London. London is a concrete jungle, you know. We don't see trees until we're maybe 12-year-old if we're, <laughs> if we're lucky, you know. Right. So Sasquatch and, you know, Bigfoot is absolutely wasn't in my psyche. It wasn't in my culture. It was, it was nowhere. As a family, we used to, with my dad and um, his partner at the time, we used to vacation in Florida. Uh, we went there maybe three or four years when we was um, from the age of around 12 to 15. And as a family, we used to play a game when we used to travel, we used to travel across the Everglades and, you know, anyone who's aware of Florida knows that any fresh water hmm. body of fresh water can contain alligators. Right. And we used to play a game called spot the gator. And um, we literally used to drive along and wherever there was a water surface, there's the possibility of seeing a gator head, you know, <laughs> and, and we did used to see them. They're, they're regular. They're every, right. not everywhere, but they're, they're certainly popular. They're not scarce. Common in Florida. Yeah. And one day we was driving across what is, I'm not sure the, the actual route name, but it, its nickname is Alligator Alley. It's a road that I believe, if I remember right, it goes from like Fort Lauderdale across to Naples on the, on the Gulf Coast side. Okay. Uh, and we was, we was driving across that and um, we had been playing Spot the Gator all morning and we were seeing gators and we, we stopped at a rest area for you know i think dad was going to use the restroom they were going to top up on on water etc and i didn't need to go to the restroom i remember we parked in um it was a huge car park and it was one of those car parks where even you know you you feel that even if it was the the height of the tourist season would never be filled it was so big so i didn't go to the restroom and so dad went to the restroom his partner and her son who was who was with us and i said, right, I'm going to go and, and, and look for gators because the border of the car park area was just swampland. And there was a huge fence up part of it and it was not very well maintained. And then the, mm-hmm. the fence disappeared. I don't know if it fell over or just, just wasn't very well maintained. And I walked up the end of the car park and my eyes were down towards where the water was again that the intention was to to spot a gator and so the attention was fixed low down the eyes were fixed low down on the water even though they're it kind it's a weird situation it mm. was swamp a swampy area there was breaks of of water but then it was just swampy marshland and so i continued walking up the car park and for some reason whatever it was looked up and saw this big I really know how to describe it. You know, it was just a big, hairy, 
mass. I think that that can be the best mm-hmm. way of describing it. You know, a big hairy mass with a huge chest, completely unobstructed view. Daytime, obviously. Daytime, unobstructed. It couldn't have been anything else other than something that I'd never seen before in my life that was in no zoo, that was on no nature program. Huge head, just looked at me, kept looking at me, kind of swayed a little, but not overly so, you know, not like you. I've read a hell of a lot of reports, of, of reports as you can imagine. Yeah. And it wasn't huge swaying, but it, it was rocking. It was kind of going sideways and this kind of went on for what seemed like an eternity. It was at least, you know, it was anywhere between a half a minute and a minute. Never, ever was scared of it. Never showed any fear whatsoever. There was no odor. There was no noises. It was just an incredibly strange situation from a young teenage boy from, from London. And, right. um, so Bobby, real quick, you saw what you saw, what, you know, roughly, I know you were a teenager, but roughly what was the height of this hairy mass? This- you know, there, there was no, there's no, nothing definitive. I, I can't tell you how high it was. What I will say is that at that time, my dad was a big man, still is a big man. He, so I guess six foot three, six foot four, weighing maybe in between 280 and 300 pounds. So mm-hmm. that yeah. type of size, I was seeing daily, obviously. And it was, it was, that's a big guy. You it's know, a big guy, a yeah. Big guy, but what I took from the sighting was, was that what I was looking at was bigger. The chest was bigger than what dad's was, much bigger. And it just seemed all round to be a bigger uh, figure, uh, animal, or, or whatever you want to call it. I should say that I didn't see the legs. I never, ever saw any legs because it was kind of covered by a, by shrubbery, by a bush or whatever right. it is that those that they have down in Florida, you know? So I, I couldn't tell you if it was standing knee deep in water or if it was standing not in the water or, or what I didn't, I didn't see that bit, or at least I didn't take away in my memory. Yeah. Down in Florida, the Sasquatch down there are known mm-hmm. as the skunk ape. That's mm-hmm. what generally what they're called, but, did it look similar to, say, Patty from the Patterson-Gimlin film? I mean, I've seen that there are pictures. When I uh, not, not started researching, but when I started to, to look into the subject uh, online, and I guess one of the first ports of call is how many good pictures there are out there for anyone, you know. So I went through a, a ton of pictures, and there, there is that, I think, I think they call it palmetto skunk ape picture. Yeah. Which looks like a... Orangutan. Oversized orangutan. Yeah, this wasn't that. Um, absolutely wasn't that. It was kind of, it was brownie, you know, a dark brownie, like chestnut kind of color, possibly, but was far more like the Patterson Gimlin film than any, than that orangutan type animal, right. that, that, if that is real, um, that they've got in that picture, that's for sure. Okay. Absolutely. It, it seemed a completely different animal to that. Uh, much more similar to to the PGF. Okay. Yeah, so I walked back to the car after that, extremely confused, and never spoke to a a soul that day, never said to anyone. I wasn't interested in the ridicule that I felt was going to come my way, you know. That didn't infuse me at all. So I didn't say anything to anyone that day, and I didn't for, for like 12 years afterwards, you know, 12 to 15 years afterwards. And... um, an incredible day that, you know, it stays with me. It has stayed with me for, for a long time. 
I, I did think about the sighting. I, I wouldn't say I didn't think about it because I did, but I wasn't, I wasn't obsessed by what I saw at that stage. You know, I was around about 14, 15 years of age and um, any man on this planet will, will look back on that part of our lives and we have very different things to think about than what we saw in a, in a bush on vacation, you know? So, um, so no, I, I was nowhere near obsessed with, with the sighting. I did go out to the US. My dad moved to the US in 2001 stroke 2002 uh, when I was a, around about 21, 22 years of age. And um, in my bedroom, dad put in a computer. We had an AOL dial-up uh-huh. uh, internet connection, <laughs> which was, you know, it used to take a while to connect. But, you know, as I started exploring the internet more, I did decide to look into what what I saw that day down in Florida. And, you know, being in the US at that time, there was far more TV shows on the subject than, than what we got in the UK. And it was a much more popular subject. And I looked into uh, the internet side of it. And, f- and I think I must have put in like Florida monkey or into the search engine, into Google, Yahoo or whatever it was. And up popped the BFRO. And up popped Sasquatch, and I never ever put the two together. I never there was there was no part of me that that even figured what I saw that day was what is known as a Bigfoot or what is known as I now know as a, a Sasquatch. So went through the BFRO sightings, looked at Florida, you know the geographical mm-hmm. sections on there. And then kind of went, wow, that's, that's, that's what I saw, you know? And um, ever since then, that's when the obsession comes, you know, I just, you just want to learn more uh, about what you saw. And, and yeah, that's, uh, that was it. Um, a day that stayed with me forever, but unfortunately kind of not losing the memory of it, but you know, it's fading a little. Of course, of little, course. Which is a shame. But it sets you on this path. You know, obviously yeah. you, you're a busy guy. You know, you do have a, a family, you got a day job. Mm-hmm. So you're not a, a field researcher, no. Bobby. No, no, no. But what, uh, what you've created with Squatch Metrics, I'd like to get into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. wake up one day and go, ah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do data no. on Sasquatch. What, no. what happened there? What happened in, in the immediate years after um, finally putting the two and two together and, and realizing what, what it was that I saw, I joined a forum, uh, the bigfootforums.com. And, you know, we're talking what, maybe 18 years ago now, 17, yeah. 18, a long, long time. Huh? Um, yeah, joined the forum, joined the bigfootforums.com again, just to, to extend my knowledge base and what I saw. That was the main objective. And one day the, the forum was split into different areas, you know, like most forums are general discussion, uh, research sightings etc just as you can imagine the, the subject is and one day up popped a, a thread and it was called the paper chase and one of the things about the big databases that were out there at that time and, and maybe even still to this date is that a lot of them are wonderful they're fantastic databases with fantastic reports but there was no there was no ability to split one report from the next one. They were just literally bunched together geographically, but you could 
you could never see the reports from the winter or, or the reports from the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no, um, there was no ability to do that. And there was a guy that I, I'm not even sure if he still utilizes the forum, but he made a thread called the paper chase. And what he decided to do was go through one of the biggest databases that there is publicly online. And he subdivided what he felt. He, I think his, his geographical interest, if I remember right, was the Southeast okay. and the Southern States. I may be wrong, but, but from memory, that, that's what it was. And he subdivided the reports and broke them down. And um, at that time, I was kind of just finding my way and my transition in my uh, professional side of things. And it coincided mm. with what the guy was doing. And that was of a huge interest to me. And I really liked what he was doing and followed the followed the thread for a, for a few years and there was a lot of guys and girls that were giving their kind of input into it in a, in a really positive manner. And then we kind of, the, there was three or four of us that decided to build a database where that could benefit the whole community by subdividing reports in a manner that, that wasn't publicly available at that time. That was the, the long and short of it. And, um, you know, it kind of, now we're sitting in 2020 with 7,000 plus reports in the database, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, um, the database itself is in my opinion, the best data research centralized system that, that we've got in this, in this community. It really is certainly publicly anyway. Uh, you know, absolutely. I don't know what happens behind closed doors for many right. But um, well, yeah, but so. if it's not public, you know, it's non-shareable. So yeah, and and that's what we don't hide any of our data that that we share. You know, sharing is caring, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. You know, right. if we can help one person out with a with an encounter, then we're doing something right somewhere along the line. You know, in in the data that we share. So what's uh, what's interesting? Getting back to the Bigfoot forums, that you know, hopefully you're paying attention. But this is pre Facebook and all that stuff. Yeah, can you imagine, sure. Bobby? What would you have done if you never got involved with the forums? Can you imagine that? The forums played a huge part, I think. Huge part. Yeah. Um, I used to, you know, I was young then, uh, <laughs> early 20s, you know, mid-20s, and I had a, an opinion that kind of differed from absolutely everyone, you know, which, <laughs> which got me in trouble uh, a lot of the times, uh, even on the forum. Scolded you were. Ban. Yeah, Scolded. I'm sorry. Yeah. I may have even got a ban or two, but... Um, you know, yeah, no, but without the forums, I don't think I'd be sitting here now, Shane, that's mm. for sure. And I don't think we'd have the ability that we've got with the database if it wasn't for the forum. So, so um, yeah, it's nope. important, very important. You and these individuals that uh-huh. kind of, you guys met through the forums and whatnot, and you, mm-hmm. you start getting, uh, and geographically speaking, you guys uh, live in different areas. And yeah. of course, uh, East Coast, Southern US, me mainly, or London, certainly for the last 10 years. but. Yeah, you know when I when I first met you, Bobby, over social media, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that uh, you weren't stateside, and we got to talking, and it, and it worked out really well, obviously. But your high interests are your your geographical areas, mainly Pacific Northwest, and some of these other blokes, these other guys. Uh, you know, it's different geographical ranges in North America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, there's no other reason that than I perceived that most of the data would come from the Pacific Northwest. But mm-hmm. I was wrong mm-hmm. on that. <laughs> but I perceived that, yeah, no, I'll take the Pacific Northwest because that's where we're going to have the, 
the most data and you know potentially the most interesting findings but um you know that's not the case now you know right you start squatch metrics what was the reception from the folk uh, you could you just post it on um facebook where did where did you post that first or share share some of that data other than with your your guys that you were working with these individuals i did share on the forums initially you know that I, I did do um a couple of personal projects in its early days and and then kind of figured that base or a platform was needed and even some branding and I'm quite loath to use that word, but that kind of it's necessity. It yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I felt that if we could brand something uh, and give it a, a personalized platform that we could be received better. Yeah. Face. Yeah. So decided to go down that road of the, of branding squatchometrics and um, usage of the word. The word was quite easy for me to, to choose the name was quite easy to choose because the word squatcher was getting used within a certain TV show at that time. <laughs> and the metrics was, was a, you know, a word that we would use every other minute at work, you know? So it was just a case of putting, putting the two together. So, so going back to what you asked before, yeah. we, I initially shared personally on the forums. And then when I did do the, I use the quote marks, the, the rebrand, uh, just the normals, just um, made the social media accounts, made the Facebook. There was a Twitter account in the early stages that I, maybe I'm wrong to, that I've kind of ignored in the last few years and that um, I maybe will get back up running again. And also we've got an Instagram account now, which um, we share which coincides with the Facebook account. So, right. But, Handy yeah, can, yeah. Good feedback. Good feedback on, on all. Um, no complaints at all. But um, yeah, it's, that's, that, that's the best way. Social media now is, is a monster in its own right. right. So that's, that's the way that we decide to, to distribute. You're following through with Squatch Metrics. How do you come across your data? I mean, where, do you, where does it formulate from and how does that all work? I'm sure the audience is kind of curious, you know, where do you get your, your reports from? Yeah. And then... I want to get this across people. You're strictly putting in the numbers and looking at them. There's no fidgeting. No, no, no. Every public database that is out there that we can backlink to. So we can, we can always go back to the origins of the report. Yeah, that's important. And and we do do that in the system as well. In in the database, we do actually put the backlink manually in there. We utilize that report. I also like the idea of reports in books because a lot of the time they have been investigated thoroughly and uh, that's important. But from a report perspective, yeah, every database that is out there public has the potential to have the report inside our, Mm -hmm. inside our database. Yeah. And um, the beauty of it is that the click, literally the click of a button, the database, thanks to, some immense brains behind um, the gentleman that built it then f- kicks back the most awesome data imaginable. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I do this as a hobby, Shane, and I would love to devote more time to it. I absolutely would, but circumstances dictate that I can't. So if I didn't have the ability to click that button and that database kick back and feed me the data it does in the form it does, then things would become much more difficult and I wouldn't, you know, share the data that I do. But um, again, thankfully, the database itself kicks back and it gives us back a, an enormous amount of invaluable uh, data that 
I can read quite easily due to my day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we then go on to distribute it in a way that I hope and, and, and want to share with everyone where they can understand it. That's, that's hugely important. I got to ask you, Bobby, when you started seeing what, what the data was, what was coming out of this, did you have an aha moment? Well, our perception, and I say our, I mean human, can be very different to what the reality of a, of a situation is. And on a professional level now, and I'll just quickly revert back to, to my working life with the soccer, data holds such weight now, you know, because our eyes can deceive us and our, our internal biases they can deceive us and they do deceive us every day. So I hold such weight with data now, you know, not, not a hundred percent, not, you know, I'm open to the fact that um, data can be misleading as well. It can be, but I think a balancing act is needed. And was there a kind of a spark moment? Like you ask, no, honestly, there wasn't, but I did want to, what something that I always had in my mind was, you know, if we're to, just for argument's sake, I know that there's different thought processes on this, but for me, this is a flesh and blood animal. As it's a flesh and blood animal, this animal would, no matter how intelligent it is, this animal would give a form of pattern somewhere, somehow Mm -hmm. to us. And I knew for a fact that as it would give a pattern somewhere, I didn't know where it would give the, the, you know, where it would show patterns, but I knew that if I looked at this data long and hard enough, we would be able to get some, some good data back from it and a type of pattern, albeit what, whatever that is. So the, the, no, going back to the original question, there wasn't really a uh, eureka moment, but there has been lots of instances over time with a lot of the stuff that I share, I think, per, on a personal level, is good data. Yeah. You know? Um, going forward, we do have to organise much better. That's for sure. You know, we have to we have to organise in a way where people can compare better, even ourselves on an mm. internal level. But no, there was no eureka moment, Shane. Unfortunately, but there's been a, a lot of instances since then that you look at and you look at you look at the data, you look at common sense, you look at various other wildlife behaviour, and, and it does make sense. You know. Yeah, and in, in, in a lot of cases, almost patterns yeah yeah for sure patterns Mm. and trends you know Mm. there there is there is um i don't think we're actually going to go into data discussion right at this second but yeah there's there's lots of stuff in the past that i've shared that that i'd like to think we receive good feedback on it i like to think would open people's eyes as to a a aha moment more Mm. than a eureka moment you know but all right bobby so when you share this stuff publicly on some of these social media sites, what do you want to see people get out of this? What's the main goal there? Well, a form of education, a, few, a form of understanding of what we're dealing with, if possible. End goal would be great if we could, we could get one person an encounter based on the data. Huh? That would be super yeah. cool. You know, we have had messages in the past that, you know, people have said, thank you for that. We have used your data and we we got some vocalizations which is cool that makes me smile a lot absolutely you know that that would be the end goal but i do need to like i just touched on um just previously i am very obsessive over the our presentation um i really want to take that up a level i really want people 
taking benefit from from our presentation visually which is incredibly important because if we can get data visualized in a way that that is really benefiting then that that could be worth its weight in gold going forward uh, the organization is a is a huge um, part of the next coming year as well and hopefully go down the road of a website and a and a website that is easy to navigate i'd like to be able to to even utilize the usage of hashtags on the on the social media side of things so you know i've just started hashtagging at squatcher metrics magical hour yeah. in which that if you know really simplistic but if people use the facebook search bar and was to put in those hashtags you'd get all the posts that are, that are relevant to whatever the, the hashtag may be you know and state specific hashtags and just uh just organization on the, on the whole but going back to visualization i think if we can when we do up our game and, and take the the visualization via charts via maps etc to a different level it we hope that it will force us to notice what we never expected to see Shane without it. You know, that's uh, that's hugely important. Yeah. Well, Squatch metrics. I mean, it's a resource to me. It's, there's not a better resource out there yep. bar none. It's the best resource out there and, and anybody can access it. You know, you don't have to pay a membership. The information is shared publicly. Yep. You know, I know you do cover the Pacific Northwest, but you do get into uh, other geographical areas yep. and share yep. data yep. there yep. as well. And, People reach out to you all the time, like you yeah, said. Yeah, from, from all over the continent, the North America, you know, Canada, the Southeast, the Southwest. 7,000 reports we're at now, in between seven and 7,500 reports. And, and they range, you know, from South Florida, where I saw mine, up until the Alaskan interior. You know, it, it's a huge, um, a huge body of data, that's for sure. But again, sorry to just rehash old ground, but... But going back to where you said about goals, and I know this is a term that, that Derek used and possibly still uses. Yeah, Derek Randall's, yeah. Yeah, but establishing predictability, that is ultimately what I do every day in, in work and ultimately where we want to go with Scotch and Metrics for sure because to be able to establish predictability will give us chances potentially beyond our wildest dreams. You mm -hmm. know, if... Um, depending what our objectives are uh, for the subjects to be able to establish predictability is, is a huge, huge uh, benefit for, for people going forward. That's for sure. Absolutely. I uh, completely agree. Well, let's actually uh, get into a little bit of the data. We, you put out a post as, as did I on, we are asking some of these individuals on social media, Hey, I'm going to have a chance to have Bobby from Squatch metrics in the, the studio here. What questions do you have for him? And we, we got quite a few. So uh, let's start out with Matt from yeah. Utah. Matt on Monster X mm -hmm. asked, uh, posed a question. In Utah, what is the most common moon phase correlated with reports? He asked the question, and uh, I know you spent some time working on these questions, looking at the data. Do you, how do you answer Matt's question? Yeah, well, uh, Utah, we're, we're currently at 64 reports for Utah. So that's not a huge number set but it's enough to be able to draw some, some data from. We're, we're split 50-50 down the middle from day and night sightings. From a moon phase perspective, the most common moon phase is the first quarter, which is at 35% of, mm -hmm. of all sightings. Uh, when we add the next phase, which is the waxing gibbous, 
we then go up to 53%. So overall, the first quarter and the waxing gibbous, which are two consecutive moon phases, make up 53% of reports. So that would be the area that I would focus on there. Um, where visual reports are concerned, we're at 27 split fairly evenly at 53 to 47% with both of those moon faces again uh, jumping out at us. The first quarter makes up 38% of reports and when adding that waxing gibbous, which again is a is a consecutive, it's the next moon phase, when adding that to the numbers, both of those moon phases make up 63% of reports. So uh, those two moon phases would be the would be what I would look at focusing on for sure yeah i mean uh, i want to talk a little bit about moon phase here in a second but just to reiterate something here you know you have these overall 64 reports from from utah those reports have been investigated so yeah. what, what squatch metrics does not do he does not take a phone call and someone said hey i had a i had a no, sighting and, no. and, and that gets put in the database no. it's not how it works it no. has to have been investigated absolutely i want to reiterate that not investigators so you're just sharing an investigated uh, report. Yes. So it's been somewhat vetted at least, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's important. You know, we, listen, we, we can't legislate for what the investigator does and how the investigator does his investigation, but they need to be investigated for sure and uh, vetted in some way, shape or form. Yeah. You know, and we, we rely on the investigator then to, and we rely on his or her judgment and, to weed out the, the not so good reports, you know, for want of a better. Exactly. Obviously there's way more than 64 reports in Utah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But these are the, the yeah, these are what, these are what come through that you can read online today uh, at the various public databases yeah. that are out there. Now it, you got some really in, intriguing uh, moon phase data here. Yeah. I know early on in the Bigfoot forums, that was a, a thing as well. The, the moon phase. I remember I used yeah. to go back and reread those forms. There was so much information in there. Yeah. Um, looking at the data over the years, so let's just let's just say you can do it geographically, or if there was a moon phase, an absolute top moon phase. Yeah. I, I know what it is, but can you tell the audience your your thoughts a little bit on that? I would say that the full moon phase is prevalent in a number of animals, and mm -hmm. is prevalent in lots of different activity for a, for a number of animals. And the, the thing about the full moon phase, it's a t kind of a 24 hour period. It's right. a, you know, if we're talking about some of the, the waxing phases, they can go on for four or five days. The full moon phase is a singular rotation, but yet it gives us a hell of a lot of data and a lot of reports from that single moon phase. And uh, so that for me would, um, uh, would be the biggest jump out overall of, um, of individual phases for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, let's get to uh, another question here, and this actually comes from my co-host Gunnar Monson of yes. Monster X Radio. And of course, Gunnar is out of Oregon, and so he's yeah. interested in the numbers in Oregon. So, yeah. Gunnar asks: In Oregon, at what altitude uh, slash elevation are the greatest number of Sasquatch sightings reported? Yeah. Well, firstly, I just I'm really unhappy that I didn't meet Gunnar this weekend. I was uh -huh. looking forward to meeting him. Huh? Yeah, well, you know, he he was at home uh, under 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 the weather. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to take back some coffee to the to the UK he, and be his uh, be his sales yeah. guy. He lost he lost some sales there. Big <laughs> big missed opportunity. <laughs> International uh, salesman yeah. <laughs> took the coffee company to a different level. Um, like yeah. the NFL. 
Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, so we where the Pacific Northwest is concerned and where Washington state and Oregon is concerned, these are such huge areas for this subject as, as anyone who even has a remote interest in it would know what we decided to do with the database because of the, the geographical differences within these States and the different geographical zones, mm-hmm. you know, Eastern Washington can look, more reminiscent of Southern California at times than, than, than a rainforest. Yeah. You know? so, mm. so we subdivide areas and we subdivided Oregon into the, the mountain ranges that we have. So we've subdivided the coastal range, which you guys are familiar with and um, done previous research on. We have our own set of numbers, even though collectively we have the state of Oregon. Yeah. And we can collectively put all the numbers together. The subdivides are the coastal range, uh, which is which is a mountain range that runs parallel to the to the ocean, the Pacific Ocean there. And we have the Cascades Range, which which come down from Canada and go as far south as, as Northern California. So we can split the numbers up in with the potential of maybe comparing numbers of potentially different population pockets of these animals which is what we feel could be beneficial so both ranges have different elevations and different um uh, different topography but to go back to gunner's question what we'll do with this question we will as you guys are listening to this now you, you could look on our facebook page and we've done two graphs which the reason why we've done the graph is, is you can visually see the differences in the, in the average elevations as opposed to just listening to me give numbers out verbally. Well, we're visual creatures, right? I mean, yes. it's, and it's very important. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And we get more benefits from visualization than we do from just our ears. Um, but I will read it out on, on air also. The Oregon coast, I have the coastal range between zero and 999 feet, so anywhere under a 1,000 foot uh, for all reports is at 56%, which is quite a high number. Huge. You know, again, perception versus reality. We would look at Sasquatches living up in the mountains. You know, that is a, that's the kind of romantic side that we've got <laughs> maybe in our head for many, you know. Right. Uh, but 56% of all coastal range reports are under a 1,000 feet. From 1,000 to 2,000, we are at 32%. So if we just, even if we combine that number there, we're at 88% of coastal range reports yeah. under 2,000 foot, which is pretty cool. Above 2,000 foot, we have you know a total of 12% of reports in the coastal range of Rossburg of Oregon that are above. 2000 feet you know again perception against reality right who's to say you know you, there are still encounters above 2000 feet there are still encounters at above 5000 feet but 88 percent of all of our coastal range reports are under 2000 feet where visual sightings are concerned in the in the oregon coastal range numbers are, are very very similar only six percent of all visual encounters or reports on the Oregon coastal range are above 2,000 foot in, ele- in elevation. Incredible amounts. So we're at 94% of reports that are under 2,000 foot for visualizations, for actual visual sightings of these yeah. creatures in the Oregon, Oregon coastal range. Um, 
looking at the Cascades, which is a little a little further inland, but um, that would run from the Columbia River and Mount Hood down to the Californian border and the, the mountain range. Uh, mm. Runs all the way down. Overall, the reports under a thousand foot are at twenty three percent. So that's that's a considerable difference for what what they are on the coast. Over two thousand foot in elevation, fifty nine percent. So we've gone from twelve percent of reports in the coastal range that are over two thousand foot in elevation to fifty nine percent of reports in the Cascade Mountain range to be in over mm-hmm. two thousand foot in elevation. Again, where just visual sightings are concerned, we again see a high number. We're at 52% of all cascade reports being above 2,000 foot in elevation. So, again, I'll just go back. Verbally listen to this. If you haven't got a pen and paper right now, (laughs) everything I've said is rubbish because it's going to go in through one ear and and go out the other so please look at the facebook page look at the graphs and that will give you a much better representation of what what i've just said there fantastic numbers and you know obviously it takes a sasquatch and a person you know especially because of the visuals obviously right the elevation it's really intriguing looking at those numbers you know and i've looked at them before and you know you gotta figure where are people where are people living you know and on the coastal range it's you know especially up here in pacific northwest you know where i live i'm fairly close to the coast and then as you move inland, you know, the numbers, you know, peak up. Yeah. But yeah. The ele- so does the elevation, right? Yes, so, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. So all, the, yeah. all that plays a part. I've never really been down and paid much attention to the coastal range in Oregon. And I don't really, I'll be honest, I don't know the topography. I don't know the, the local area very well at all. But, but again, just going by the numbers. Uh, that's where we're at. But what I will say, Shane, is that even from those numbers specifically, we've always got the ability to go in and subdivide that and, and delve into it even further seasonally, for example. So, you know, do the winter reports look different compared to the summer reports mm-hmm. in that mountain range? You know, right. we have the ability to do so, so much. You've done more. it for me. So yeah, much yeah, you've done it for me. So thank you for that question, Gunner. But even with those basic numbers that we've shared on the Squatchometrics Facebook page, we can still go into it even more and dig deep down and maybe find some real real cool correlations well it's endless because your your, your database is ever growing i mean it's not yeah. uh, it's not stagnant it's ever growing and so that's uh, how you build up patterns end. of trends it yeah, doesn't we, end we won't finish it <laughs> never you know? that's a scary fault because we've put some serious hours already into it you know i mean maybe 12 years now i that's think we're at 12 years insanity that's a lot of hours that's a lot of manpower you know but yeah. to I'm only 41 years of age, so I've still got some some gas in the tank. 41, you look yeah, you look yeah. 20. Yeah, oh, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. <laughs> so we've still got a long way to go, but this will never finish. You know, every day these public databases put new sightings mm-hmm. on, and then we have to manually put it in to to the database. So the numbers are changing uh, regularly. All right. So we got another question from Rose Creek Retreat yeah. uh, via via Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Contact you on Instagram there. Uh, Bobby, what do you think of the idea that Sasquatches deliberately show themselves as a form of intimidation, pushing us indoors during the magical hour, air quotes there, in order to ensure privacy during hunts? Your thoughts on that? What's the data set? Um, do you have any data? It's tough to, to grab data 
for something so specific like that and that that's more opinion as opposed to, to data, you know? Well, we kind of discussed this earlier. Yeah. You, subjective. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very yeah. subjective. Um, I think it makes sense. I can't really back that up with data, as I'm sure everyone can, can understand. But, yeah, it, it makes sense to me, you know? I, I don't think they would want humans running around the, the woods if they're being, you know, real serious in food gathering, you know? No, I truly don't. I know that... You have some data, I'm not sure if you have it available or not, but one thing that I've noticed over the years uh, in some of your data that I found really intriguing was the, the win- during the winter time, the number of reports around homesteads. I think it kind of stands to reason. A lot of it yes. kind of makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And more so in the northern states, Shane, where it does get cold in the yeah. winter. Unfortunately, you don't have that data for hand. Oh, no, that, that's and fine. I, I can't pull it. I'll surprise in you there. Seconds, unfortunately. But the data does show that there's, does. yeah, it and, does. and it does make a lot of sense. Less people out in the woods. Absolutely. More people at home, especially in those gnarly areas. Absolutely. And parts of, you know, even parts of the certain counties in the Olympic Peninsula, the reports, the winter reports from homesteads is, is off the scale. Not huge data set, uh, but certainly enough for us to pull that would at least give us the, you know, interesting mark at the end of it you know than than anything definitive again but yeah northern states cold states winter time homesteads you that's rock and roll okay hopefully i pronounced this right but james scalise is that how you would pronounce that looks to me scalise yeah scalise i hope that's right i hope that yeah yeah, likewise um via instagram question post to squatch metrics again and this is something i'm this is a great question great question this is data that's really stuck out to me personally. James asks, what is the magic hour? Yeah, well, the, the magical hour is something that we've just, you know, in the last six months, we've, quite, we, we've found some, some real inter- interesting numbers on the, the hour between 11 p.m. Uh, up until midnight. And we've found a, lo- a lot of different search parameters that I've just personally been looking at. And ignoring the time of day on this hour is becoming incredibly prominent. And it, it was just too, it was becoming, it was too prominent to, to keep on ignoring. So we decided to look into it and really compare some geographical areas on it. And we've come up with some pretty, I say, interesting numbers there. We don't know why this is. So we can debate what the, the whys, you know, f- until the cows come home. All I can say is that this hour between 11 p.m. and midnight is really, really uh, prominent in a lot of mm-hmm. different geographical areas. You know, the, the Washington Cascades, if we was to look at non-visual reports um, from over, I think we're at over 200, 200 reports, mm-hmm. our magical hour comes through. If you want, I'm just going to run through some, some areas and some search parameters yeah. that will pop up with this magical hour of 11 p.m. to midnight. Okay, so I'll just give some, uh, some examples of, of this magical hour between 11 p.m. and midnight. In the Pacific Northwest and the, and the states of Washington, Oregon, Northern California, Montana, Idaho, and British Columbia, most common time for a driver uh, to have a sighting would fall in our magical hour. Uh, that's over. That's over five hundred reports. Wow. 
in the Washington Cascades region. Again, a, a, a region that we've subdivided from the total amount of Washington reports. From non-visual reports, our magical hour shines through. Uh, of 159 sightings, our magical hour between 11 p.m. and midnight comes through. Uh, vocalization reports, magical hour comes through. Overall reports for the entire Washington Cascades, uh, again, 11 p.m. till midnight. Uh, and they are, they are strong numbers because we're talking over, where are we at, over 350 to maybe 400 reports there in the Oregon Cascades. Mm. So, um, so for that hour, that specific hour to come through on, on, on regular sets of, of different sets of data, that's really intriguing. But again, it, we haven't gone through the seasonal variables here. This doesn't necessarily mean that these numbers hold for winter, spring, summer and the fall. You know, so maybe we will see variants there, which I'm sure we will, in fact. Where else have we got? We've got um, Washington statewide. The time frame comes through. The hour comes through again on non-visual reports, on vocalization reports, and on overall reports. Oregon Cascades are the same mountain range, but just further south. Again, all through all through the non-visual reports, the time frame comes through. The vocalization reports, the time frame comes through. And for all Oregon Cascades reports overall. So that's pretty, pretty interesting there. Very. Uh, other parts of the, of the country, we recently done a post on Alabama. And uh, up popped our magical hour again, which is Alabama, what, 2,000 miles south maybe from here which is interesting. But again, the, the magical hour of 11 p.m. till midnight came through. Yeah, so I could, I could go on and on with this magical <laughs> hour, but it seems that it's, a, it's, a, it's an hour of the day where Sasquatches, for whatever reason, appear to be moving or certainly vocalising as well. You know, even if there isn't a visual sighting, the vocalisation reports are incredibly uh, prominent at this, this hour. It's just an incredible piece of data to me it's it really it's certainly we, why we absolutely need to look more into it, it yeah there's something to it. there's a lot of meat there there's a lot of meat i don't believe we've scratched the surface anywhere near with that because uh we've got you know 50 states or 49 states to hawaii aside to um to look into and to compare then we've got the breakdown seasonally you know is this a is this mainly a summer mm -hmm. hour where, where we're talking of, of daylight hours kind of diminishing at what, 10 o'clock in the evening? Yeah. In yeah. the north, maybe. And what's the activity behind exactly. the, yeah, you know, what, exactly. what is, what's the human doing? Are they camping? Yeah. There we you go. Know? I mean, that's yeah, so, incredible. So again, we've got, um, we've, got to re we can re we've got the possibility to really dig deep into that, yeah. which will be cool. But we will dig deep into it and we will share it in, uh, in due time. Oh, fantastic. Well, so that's a, that's a piece of data, that, that magic hour. Yeah, that again, listening to this verbally we just don't get the benefits from it we, mm. we, we truly don't so again visit the facebook page i will do a post i will do some visualizations with this data and it will be on the facebook page right now so when you finish this show or if you want to pause this show or whatever go to the facebook page visualize what we're what we're saying now and then you'll get a better idea of, of the power of that data. Visualize it, write it down, take a screenshot. Yeah. If yes. you're an investigator, uh, researcher, enthusiast, 
put it in your back pocket, look at it, look at it. And then maybe, uh, maybe something will stick out to you. Maybe, uh, it'll help you in your, within your endeavors. I think that's important. All right. Uh, we have probably our last question, um, this time around, but it comes from Jamie Jenny, uh, from Pennsylvania and Ohio Bigfoot research. And of course this question, um, was, uh, posted or shared with you on Instagram there, Bobby question is people assume a lot about Sasquatch, but how much do people think they know about us? And do you think they come into populated areas to observe our behavior? How often are they observed close to human areas or habitat? Well, uh, you know, I don't know how much they know about us. I do think they come into populated areas to, to view us. I do think they're a very, inquisitive animal i truly do uh how often are they observed close to human areas well we've got reports from from some of the biggest cities in the u.s uh, and the counties that they fall into you know and king county in which seattle sits in seattle we're talking over two million of, of population now right um including the suburbs like the and growing yeah yeah we've got 41 reports in that county alone and i know parts of that county do get incredibly wild oh incredibly yeah to have sasquatches in that general vicinity the probability surely would be that they 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 do encroach on human habitat at one time or another and um i don't know i'd, I'd assume that their inquisitiveness does take them real close to us with maybe without us even even knowing you know more times than not i'm sure absolutely yeah we've got um so we've got a total of 1,236 reports uh, from witnesses that are just doing normal activities at home. So that's not even stepping into a forest. That's not opening the door of their car. That's just being at home with the ability to have a Sasquatch encounter. You know, beyond that, around about 25% of those uh, describe peaking or watching of the, of the subject, uh, the target species, you know, so... So yeah, that does that. That, that points to inquisitiveness. Inquis yeah. it, it points to them coming in and and being nose generally being nosy around us, huh? which is quite incredible. Um, but aside from Seattle, I mean, I know I've spent quite a lot of time in in Chicago and Cook County, uh, where the the city falls in, and um, there's reports from Cook County, Chicago, which is which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Cook County, Illinois. There was a recent one, or I say recent, maybe within the last ten years of. Of, of a road crossing at Brookfield Zoo, which is in the suburbs. And I've been to the zoo and, and, and there is forest around there and there's a ton of waterways, but you know, is it enough habitat to, for a Sasquatches to, to be in? I, I, I don't know mm -hmm. the answer to that. I can only, I can only look at the reports and say, well, that's, that's what we've got. Pittsburgh is another city in Pennsylvania, uh, Allegheny County, which I believe, Jamie and Jenny are from that part of the world, or at least state wise, mm -hmm. anyway. Um, another US city with over a million people, and we've got close to 50 reports from that county alone in, um, in Western Ohio. Is it southwestern Ohio, maybe? Yeah, possibly. I believe so. Um, but yeah, again, hugely forested area, big US metropolis there, ton of people, over a million people, and we're looking at a number of Sasquatch reports, which is, which is quite incredible. Thanks for the questions, by the way, everybody. Thank you for the questions. Hopefully you'll get something out of them. Hopefully uh, got something out of got an answer or two out of it. But 
I know within myself, within my research, within the Olympic Project and other organizations and individuals that I talk with and speak with, the, the data has been huge, huge. I know yeah. I, I've been at a, a few summits and, and uh, symposiums speaking, you know, have a, a witness come at me to share their encounter. And literally, I've been able to give off a time, you know, you know, your encounter didn't include, it was a, you know, roadside crossing. Yes. Yeah. How'd you know? Was it around such and such a time? Yeah. I could guess that based on your data. Yeah. I mean, just based on. That's cool. Huh? In, in, in specific, specific areas, you if know, stand we're up. establishing predictability, Shane, we're doing something right. You're huh? doing something right. If you can predict that, then good. <laughs> yeah, so something. it's profound. And uh, I get, going forward, I'm, I'm really excited about some of the uh, things working on when it comes to waterways and ridges and, and, yeah all that subject you're working on some really really neat stuff there's some some things that are going to be coming down the road here i'm sure hopefully uh, more and more publicly i know you're working on a lot of things everything we do i'll eventually yeah. share it publicly i think if it's i didn't then something badly wrong huh? because yeah. uh well especially you, know, you being in england what are you going to do nothing with those, yeah absolutely yeah. nothing it would just be a pure waste of time huh? because i i'm not doing anything with this data and like I said earlier on, if this can help anybody, absolutely anybody out there uh, get an encounter, then and that's happy days as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, I will say that, you know, without putting a dampener on, on things, I am so heavily weighted on visualization that coming onto a radio show, I've never done this kind of thing no, ever no. in my life before, you know, and thanks for being so... Um, so welcoming and, and I am pretty nervous, have been pretty nervous for sure. But the visualization side of it, please guys, you know, don't just listen to what I'm saying. Look at the, look at the, the social media pages and please actually visualize what I'm saying as opposed to, to what I'm verbally, what verbally saying, because you just simply do not get the benefits out of listening to what I say and some of the nonsense I will personally come up with uh, as opposed to, to what the data is saying and, and how that can be presented visually, albeit in charts, in graphs, in mapping, which we're going to take. We're definitely taking mapping to a new level this year. I know where we're going with that. I'm really excited uh, about that. So, um, so yeah, all fingers onwards, onwards and upwards, and fingers crossed we um, we go into the future real positive and and um, you know we have a more productive year than than last year. Well, that's definitely no doubt going to happen. Anybody listening to the show out there, if you have questions, I know, I know Bobby's a busy guy, but look out Squatch Metrics on Facebook. Yeah. Look him out on Instagram. Um, you got specific questions or, yeah. you know, even ideas. Hey, jump yes, on. Give absolutely. them a shout. And, and you know what? Even criticism. So long as it's constructive criticism, I'm 100% open to it. Yeah, don't bag on him because he's yeah. English. No, <laughs> come on. Come on. That's a low blow. <laughs> No, but any, any, anything at all, if you're a serious researcher and you genuinely believe that I could help, I'll sit there all day and all night trying my best to help you. I, I genuinely will. Yeah. So um, feel free to come forward. I know you're up here for a few more days. You're going to head out and, yeah. and do some exploring. Yeah, I've got some, some me time coming up. Well deserved. Just, just purely relaxing and uh, just getting some fresh air. I'm going to um, go into the Olympics. and. Um, I've found myself a, a beautiful lodge by a lake and I've got three books with me and I've got um, maybe a bottle of red wine coming my way or two, you know, and just, yeah, just to have some me time and, and some downtime and relax and recharge and then fly back to London on 
Wednesday. Good stuff. Well, once again, Bobby, thank you for jumping on the show thank here. You. Safe travels. It's been a pleasure having you, you back over and um, hopefully we can do this again. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Thank you very much, Tony. And that wraps up another episode of Monster X Radio. Be sure to check out Squatch Metrics on Facebook as well as Instagram. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.